pray for us. Father, we give You thanks for uh, Your constant love uh, towards Your children. Uh, You are so gracious, so steadfast in pursuing us and loving us, even when we are pursuing idolatry and just running in the other direction. uh, You uh, never let go of us. And uh, we we thank You for uh, Your grace. Uh, We can throw the word Father around a lot and the word grace around a lot. But I pray for myself and those in here that we would stop to reflect about just those words, what they mean. Uh, to, to call this uh, omniscient, uh, omnipotent God our Father is a baffling uh, reality that gives testimony to Your grace. Um, I pray that You would uh, help us uh, to, to get a taste of that from Your Word as we talk about ministry in Your kingdom. Um, that You would uh, help us as we are, as we are weary uh, to focus on the truth of Your Word. Um, Father, we know uh, that Satan hates your church. Uh, He hates a conference like this uh, where there is significant uh, preaching and teaching to equip those who are reaching the next generation, who are, by your grace, uh, seeking to fulfill the creation mandate uh, to to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. And so much of that is is pointing to discipleship as well, uh, to, to pass the faith along. And so... I pray that you would guard us from the evil one uh, who doesn't want us to hear from your word, who wants to discourage us, who wants to torment us, and that you would be pleased to use some of this uh, to assist in that, that work. Uh, we thank you most of all for your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so Galatians 1, uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, I'm going to really zoom in on verse 10, and I'll, I'll reference this a little bit uh, throughout. So Galatians 1. Uh, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, some of you may be somewhat familiar with Galatians. I'm going to continue to read, but uh, one key aspect right here, the, the thanksgiving is removed. Like There's typically a thanksgiving section that Paul has in his epistles, and so it's just rushing into his frustration with this church. Um, so not getting too much into that because it's not going to be too much related to what we're talking about. But I at least wanted to say that just to, to notice that when he just goes, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So again, as some of you may know from from this epistle, Paul is being accused of being a man pleaser. And so he's obviously coming out guns blazing at this church and he's saying, okay, does this sound like a man pleaser? Does this sound like someone who's just trying to win the approval of man? And, And part of the reason I'm reading this, like I said, it's going to verse 10 
especially what will relate to some of what I'm going to say, but we were actually up in Nashville as a staff um, this Sunday and attended a church up here, and uh, there was an installation of a pastor. And uh, they referenced this verse, and I thought, you know, that, that has a lot uh, to deal with what we're, what we're talking about. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that. I don't want to get too far ahead. Uh, here is the outline, uh, what I hope to accomplish in the next little bit. Um, first, I want to ask the question, okay, okay, what's a necessity, okay? Like, let's define that a little bit more, all right? Ministry necessities. Uh, how do we determine what's a necessity and what isn't a necessity? So just kind of defining that, clarifying terms a little bit. Then secondly, why is this important? Okay, why are we spending the time to, to think about this? How is this going to apply to you specifically? And then, what are some necessities? <clears throat> I've got nine necessities that I want to uh, share with you that I think are helpful in ministry, that have been helpful to me in ministry. And as I'll say, I mean, these are not... This is not like an inspired list. Okay, it's these nine and that's it. If anyone ever tells you there's other necessities, they're you know, a liar. No, there's there's wiggle room here, and there's going to be overlap and all of that. So, as we seek to define a necessity, let's just think kind of dictionary definition. Somebody tell me what what's a necessity? How would you define necessity, or maybe some even synonyms of uh, necessity? Any thoughts? Yes, Marianna, thank you. Okay, you can't live without it. Here. How else would you define a necessity? Feel like, go ahead, John. Indispensable. That's good, indispensable. Jeremy. Something you need. Something you need. Absolutely, yeah. Any other thoughts? See, this is a technique to try to help engage you after lunch a little bit. So. Anyone? Bueller? All right. Here's just the dictionary definition. A necessity is something indispensable, an imperative requirement, a compulsion to do something. So something indispensable, an imperative requirement, a compulsion to do something. It's, it's an action item, in a sense. There's you know, action involved in this. Um, so some other synonyms, uh, essentials, must-haves, needs, requirements. And, and so a question here is, as we're trying to define this, is who decides what's necessary and what's not? Um, how do we kind of I did clear, clarify what we mean by necessity. Um, there's a movie that I saw, Three Kings. This is an old movie. Raise your hand if you've seen Three Kings. I think this is like 1999. Um, so, uh, I'm, you've always got to give the disclaimer. It's been a while since I've seen it. I'm not encouraging you guys to see this movie. Uh, but it started George Clooney, Ice Cube, and Mark, Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Um, and it's after the it's at the end of the Persian Gulf War, and uh, there's you know ceasefire. George Clooney's character hears that there is some you know millions of dollars worth of gold that's just kind of there that they can basically steal, but no one knows because there's chaos because the war is still ending and all this stuff. And so he is setting out on this plan to, to get this money and to split it with these these guys and. Uh, throughout the film, he, he emphasizes, he says, what's the most important thing in life? And 
you know, various people give answers, and he says necessity. And he emphasizes the importance of necessity. And he's always talking about necessity. And as they go to get this gold, he's thinking, okay, this is our necessity. Getting the gold and getting out as fast as we can. And as they're going to get this gold, uh, there's some, it's a fairly tense scene. There, there's some uh, tempers starting to uh, increase among you know, some of the soldiers and civilians where a civilian is actually shot and killed right in front of them as they're trying to get this gold. And as George Clooney starts to get involved in this, Mark Wahlberg's character just screams out. He says, what happened to necessity? And George Clooney said, it just changed. It just changed. In that moment, something else, okay, their necessity was getting this gold, but then something occurred where he said, necessity has changed. Necessity has been redefined. And so what I want us to see is we're defining necessity but there's some fluidity to it. There, there, there's some ways in which it could be a little clouded as we discuss it. And again, your context may be defining necessity a different way. Uh, your church may define necessity a little bit differently. Uh, but just giving you an example from, from ministry, I can remember one time, and this is one of the earliest things I ever did with the youth group that I was involved with at Pear Orchard. We had a um, <coughs> ministry retreat with... Uh, some of the students who were some leaders in the group, and so our, our objective was, okay, can I have an overnight time with them? We're, okay, we're, we're going out to eat, we're um, you know, having some fun, playing some games, things like that, but then also having you know, a lesson in there, but then kind of having work the next day of thinking through kind of leadership and youth ministry. And so that, that was some of our goal. That was kind of, the, the, again, the necessity, uh, what was necessary to, to accomplish some of this. And so as we're there the next morning, and uh, we had had plans to uh, accomplish certain things, uh, my boss at the time got a phone call, and we had to get up and leave. And I had no idea why, but he said, okay, you're coming with me, and we just kind of left. And we had another leader there, but we just left the students over there. And as I get in the car, he tells me that... Um, a mom had just called him, and her son had a butcher knife, uh, and they were fighting in the kitchen with each other. And uh, obviously, shocking uh, to get a call like this. And uh, I bring that up to say, like, necessity in that moment changed, right? We, we had an objective. We knew we were wanting to invest in leaders in the youth group, but this call changed absolutely everything. Necessity in that moment required like scrapping the plan, um, leaving students with questions unanswered. They had no idea, like, why do we leave? Um, we came to say, well, Bobby, I'm just throwing Bobby out. It's always Bobby or Billy sometimes. Um, yeah, Bobby's got a butcher knife, and so we've got to go, you know, take care of it. We cannot tell students that. And so in the moment, we just had to, to jump in and to deal with this. And so thinking about this a little further, too. Let me just ask you, how many of you got a job description when you came on staff at your current church? I'm not trying to shame you or shame churches or anything. Okay, a few of you, not, not all of you, some of you. Um, trying to dig down into this a little bit more. How would the leadership in your church describe your job? Like if we were to ask the pastors in your church... Uh, Leadership in whatever capacity that is, what's, a, what's necessary in my job description? What's a necessity? How do you think the leadership in your church would 
define that for, for you and in the roles you're serving. Maybe think more positively first. Okay? We might go negatively. It's like everybody's hands just went down. Positive. No, yes? Teaching. Okay, teaching. So that's a necessity of your job. Good. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. evangelism, discipleship. Okay, evangelism, discipleship. Good. Okay, development of youth ministry. Good. Jeremy. Uh, maintaining your walk with the Lord. Okay, maintaining your walk with the Lord. Excellent. Then, yeah. Uh, recruiting volunteers. Okay, recruiting volunteers, absolutely. All right, let's think more negatively. What are some things they might say as a necessity for you? And I, when I say negatively, or you just might disagree, okay? It's not like. Yeah, go ahead. Um, kind of, it's kind of interesting, but I had elders um, tell me that I shouldn't recruit leaders to teach because as a teaching elder, that's my responsibility. Wow. Yeah. Um, so there was a disconnect of equipping others for ministry to teach and use gifts. Yeah. That whole Ephesians 4 section of this, yeah. Um, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, so we, we've... You know, professionalize this. Okay, let's leave it to the professionals. Let's not get others involved. How, how else? Maybe some negative thoughts of what's a necessity. Yeah. Um, emphasis on ministering to guys in my group. But in the group that's majority girls, mm-hmm. it's all basically don't you know, be very careful and maybe even don't even minister to the girls. Mm-hmm. Get volunteers to do that, but don't do that yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe so ultimately neglecting some of those students who are, yeah, in your care. All right, let's think, asking this from a parent's perspective, all right? If we get some parents in your youth group to say, what's a necessity, all right? Again, more positively, what might some parents say is, okay, this is your job description. This is what is necessary. How do you think some of them might answer that question? Yes. Keep my kids out of trouble. <laughs> Keep my kids out of trouble, yes. Keep them out of jail, yes. Definitely, yeah. Really, something very explicit. One parent actually said was, "Display your walk to them. Right? Hmm. Make sure your walk with the Lord is evident." Good. So modeling the Christian life before them. Yeah, that's good. Right. What else might they say? Making Bible study exciting. Yeah. To so drink a lot of caffeine right before. <laughs> Get really energetic. All that. Yeah. All right, maybe some negatives. All the hands just shoot up. Yeah, maybe some negatives. Three. Do everything. <laughs> Do everything. Yes. Fix my kid. Yeah. Make it fun. Make it fun. Which isn't totally negative, but but you know when it's the point where you know, make it fun, even if that means not teaching Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Babysit them. Yeah. So often it can be just, yeah, glorified babysitting. That's how I can feel. Yeah. All right, what about um, according to your students? Um, how, what, what would they say is a necessity? Again, more positively first. Uh, what, how would they answer that? Or how would they define what it is you're doing? Yeah. Okay, good. Be available. What are some others? Yes. What's that? Give them the gospel. Good. Help us. All right. Help us with every, uh, all the issues in life. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of the, 
the theologian, they tell you, hey, I've got a friend who doesn't believe in predestination. What do I say? Like, you get those. Just help me. You're, you're our, you know, Siri or Google or whatever. Um, okay, what, what are maybe some negatives? That might kind of bleed over into negative. But what, what, what are some, some negatives? Okay, yeah. That's good. Yes. This isn't necessarily their vacation, but I think, like, half my students don't even know, like, who I am. Like, they know who I am, but they don't know my role, or, like, that I'm hired. They're like, you're employed by the church? They hate Like, most of them ask me, like, what's your job? Yes. I'm like, yeah. uh, what do you do? I do have to, like, time out on the real quick. How many people have gotten a version of that question before here? Like, I know you would, like, but what do you really do, like, all day, you know? <coughs> so, yeah, I don't have a clue, yeah. I'm just going to say this is, again, one of those, it's kind of, kind of negative, but it leads over to positive. But just like, hey, we just want to relax. You know, we just we want to be in a place that's safe and relaxing. And, like I said, that's not totally negative. It's, it's a lot of positive. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how do I, how do I do that? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I can remember as I'm getting into student ministry, I'm thinking, okay, all the insecurities I've dealt with in junior high are back. It's like <laughs> thinking about all of this stuff, I thought that was behind me. And now here it is again. Um, just John Mulaney, the comedian. He's like, teenagers know the exact thing you're insecure in. It's like they zoom in on it. Um, so I just said, yeah, flash there. Did you have a hand up? I just got like the one who enforces the rules. Like, you're the grandma, you walk in and you calm down. Then you leave and it gets good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yes. Make me feel good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's another one. Is you feel like a circus clown. Like, okay, entertain me. Make me laugh. Um, you you kind of feel that way on Wednesday nights or whenever it's students. You've got to be on. You've got to always be funny. I just forget how I'm exhausted and you know, crash. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Let's close in prayer. No, I'm kidding. I always like going that one. It's the easiest joke there every year. Uh, I've, I've been accused of my job is just to spy on them. <laughs> like, I hang out with them just so I can hear what's going on, and I they assume that I just run down uh, yeah. and report everything to their parents. Mm-hmm. And that definitely got magnified with social media. You know, it's like, yeah, when you started, you know, following them or whatever, it's like, oh, great. Yeah. Now I've got to have yeah, a fake Instagram account or whatever it is. Or just go to the next new one that we don't know what it is, and then everybody goes there, and then the parents end up going there, and then they find the next you know, new one. Um, these are good. Good. And everybody's staying awake for now, so that's good. So I know, look, this can be kind of confusing, right? We start, okay... What's a necessity? Okay, who determines what a necessity is? Okay, the leadership in your church, you might say, okay, yeah, them, because they can fire me. But can't the parents have some influence as well? And so you're thinking, okay, should we cater to the parents, what they think is a necessity? Then also the students, okay, who's to determine what a necessity is? 
And so there's, there's some fluidity. And then we even kind of said, some of what we deal with in life and seasons of life may dictate, okay, what's necessity and what's not. And so as we're defining this, I'm trying to get us to wrestle with necessities before God. Right? To, to reference Galatians 1, verse 10, that I read earlier, um, and kind of uh, quoting this pastor that I heard this weekend, that Paul doesn't leave us with a both and there. It's, it's an either or. Either you're pleasing man or you're pleasing God. Um, if we seek to please man, ultimately, we are, Paul says, we are not being servants of God. And so as we define necessity, trying to think more vertically about this, okay? And trying to, to, to allow God's Word to give us some guidance, to have some, some more you know, specificity as we're, again, still acknowledging that there's some you know, fluidity with this. Um, so for us to be faithfully stewarding the, the ministry that God has called us to, I think it's important for us to wrestle with this. And so this starts to get into the why question. Why is this important? And, and I want to read this section from Mark, this brief section, Mark 10, verse 35 uh, through 45, um, a story many of us are familiar with. But uh, we, we pick up, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit in my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, <clears throat> excuse me, they became indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Um, now there's obviously a lot there that we don't have time to unpack everything, but just kind of giving us some context here, we need to see that yeah, this occurs after Peter's confession of who Christ is. Okay, After the transfiguration. And right before this section, Jesus tells them the third time that He's going to die. And so they know when Jesus is talking about this death that's going to occur, they know He's talking about Himself at this point, right? Because Peter's made this confession, they know He's the Christ. And I read this section... For, for a few reasons, but, but to highlight, like this is an aspect of Christ's suffering that we can sometimes miss. That when we think of suffering, specifically Christ's suffering, we automatically, I think, often go to the cross, and that's understandable, horrific torture that Christ went through. But I wanted to, to zoom in on this account for us to think about like the daily suffering Jesus Christ went through to, to put up with a bunch of idiots like the disciples, right? For them to go up to the Christ and say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Like, probably not a good lead in there. Like, you, second person in the Trinity might want to have some reverence. Um, and, and then just to be so clueless 
about their arrogance, their seeking glory, all of that. And then, you know, this is speculation, so I'm not saying the text specifically says this, but, you know, verse 41, when all the disciples became indignant at James and John, let's just say, okay, we know they're sinners, so they have mixed motives. Okay, let's say there's some righteous anger there, but let's also say they probably wanted glory too. You know, I want to be at your right and at your left. Not James and John, I've done all of this, right? But Jesus, I would assume, was constantly fielding these kind of questions. He said, I just told you I'm about to die. All right? Give me a break. Um, But no, he's long-suffering, right? So I love that word for patience. He is exceedingly patient, exceedingly gracious. And as we know, we are these disciples, right? We do this all the time. And so, you know, as we we start to ask, you know, why this is important, um, well, I want us to see and to know that we as believers are called to suffer But also, those of us in ministry, we are going to suffer. And so as we're talking about this in light of necessities, what I want you to see is that suffering is a necessity of ministry. Suffering is an aspect of ministry. That whether or not you got a job description, your job description has suffering in it. That youth ministry, it's... There's no way we can escape it, right? It's, it's part of life in a fallen world. Um, I can remember, you know, after I've been doing ministry for several years and, and talking to a friend of mine who was an RUF campus minister, um, and we were both in seminary together, and we were both talking about just dealing with depression in ministry. And I'm not just throwing that word out. I'm trying to be cautious because sometimes I think we can just the word depression out and there's you know a spectrum there but both of us are saying like have we been prepared to experience this um and to be sure we probably snoozed during some of the, the lectures in seminary and maybe missed some of that um but also saying like we need to just speak about this more openly and longing for you know pastors professors others to just kind of say look you're going to be dealing with this you're going to be dealing with Suffering, And, of course, Scotty was dealing with that last night. We've, we've heard several deal with it. Clint's going to be talking about it in the next hour. Um, but I picked this story because, again, it's more of the everyday forms of suffering that we deal with. And so I wanted to, to highlight a few of those as we're clarifying this, why this necessity is, is important. Um, you know, again, thinking of Scotty last night, some of what he was sharing from his story, you know, just the extreme pain and suffering that, uh, that that's a part of his story. But to not downplay the everyday struggles of ministry um, that will build up over time and compound over time and weigh us down and weigh you down. And so trying to get you to, to just think about some of that. First thing is, is just thinking about leadership. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but, but leadership. Um, As I heard someone quote or give a definition of leadership, he said, leadership is about making people mad at the rate that is tolerable. Leadership is about making people mad at a rate that is tolerable. Um, If you're working in student ministry, you're leading a ministry. And people get mad at leaders all the time. You're going to be making decisions that people don't like all the time. 
And, I mean, speaking from experience, just over time, that begins to just be become sarcasm, which I have an appreciation for sarcasm. There's a place for it. Um, cynicism, anger. And so just knowing, like, if you're leading, you cannot, and I know this is so obvious, but you cannot make everybody happy. You're going to make decisions all the time or somebody's going to be upset. Um, go ahead and pick a movie that your youth can watch. Okay, have fun with that one. Yeah, no one's going to agree on it, right? Absolutely impossible. And the ones that the students would like, the parents are going to hate. So you've made people angry, right? And then if you don't show a movie because of their difficulty, people are going to be upset because they wanted to watch a movie, right? So there's all of these leadership decisions that are going to be a form of suffering, uh, just general brokenness. Witnessing just brokenness in the lives of students, divorce, cutting, substance abuse, eating disorders, sexual sin. Just dealing with that constantly and seeing students weeping over this stuff. And in a good way, there were so many times where I just started to realize this is too much. I, I can't help with all of this. Yeah, There's just all of this brokenness, all of this hurt, all of this pain, and it's beyond me. And that's exactly right. Uh, it's beyond us, right? We need a Savior. They need a Savior. And we can't do it all. But after a while, just you know, seeing brokenness is, just, is going to wear you down. And again, where some of the cynicism comes in, I've kind of said before, it's like, you know, the surgeon has cut a thousand people open and it's just no big deal with blood spraying and they're, you know, opening a person up and it's just kind of, well, this is part of the job. After a while, you can just become very callous to all of that. And we we can miss, like, the the pain our students are going through because it's just, it's another, you know, another divorce in the youth group they're having to deal with now and you just become cynical to that. Conflict. You're going to have plenty of opportunities to have conflicts each and every week, right? All sorts of uh, issues that are going to arise. And it's easy to, to look the other way. But again, that builds up over time. And as a friend of mine said, no one likes conflict unless you're psychotic, right? Because um, you hear people, oh, I just have not get a conflict. Like, who is? Like, it's never fun. Uh, we're called to do it. Um, here's one that's very common. Gossip. You're going to hear so much second and third hand, right? People are saying dot, dot, dot. I've heard dot, dot, dot. Um, you know, we, we think you're doing a good, good job, but you know, we've heard this. Um, that kind of stuff hurts every time. Um, I've had pastors share with me that they, uh, one pastor got an anonymous letter one time and just ripped him to pieces. And that he has a policy where whenever he gets an anonymous letter, he just puts it straight in the garbage. Doesn't even read it. I think that's a good policy, a biblical policy. I don't have time to unpack that, but um, but yeah, uh, anonymous. We, we should not remove our names from something, our words are to be attached to us as people, right? Um, again, in leadership, people are going to gossip about you. And so this everyday just kind of suffering... It seems kind of small. It seems no big deal. Even some people can kind of laugh that off. They have a thick skin. Over time, that can start wearing away at you. I mean, so seeing that, again, as a form of suffering. And then despair, right? Does anybody even care about youth ministry? 
Does anybody even care about the gospel? Does anybody even care? Okay, I have spent hours on this study, and like less than half the group showed up to hear it. And they're all playing Fortnite, which probably isn't even trendy anymore. But whatever it is. And you're just, what's the point? Why am I doing this? I feel called to do this, and nobody even cares. So again, there's so much we can, we can go on, but I know I need to kind of move us quickly. But look, just kind of maybe an equation for, for life here. Look, if we agree that suffering is a part of life, <clears throat> it's promised to us through Scripture, right? Um, then I'd say we must add necessity to it for our ultimate health. For you know, soul care is something we, we throw out a lot, something that we talk a lot about. That it's an absolute must because, again, suffering is in your job description. Suffering is a necessity of ministry. We cannot avoid it. <clears throat> and so, what are some necessary things we can add to our life to hopefully, by God's grace, add some longevity to ministry? Um, again, as I was at this uh, uh, ordination service this Sunday for this pastor, um, a statistic was given that 90% of uh, pastors end up retiring in something that's not ministry. I think that's right. 90% of you heard something like that. It's like 90% of pastors, I think this is through Barna. Um, those aren't good stats, right? <laughs> for making it a ministry, for lasting. Um, so again, these are not just inspired, ordained by God. Some of them obviously have some biblical backing, but uh, we could add to this list, but here are some that I'll, I'll go through somewhat quickly, uh, but then maybe have some time for some Q&A. The first necessity is the need to retreat. All right, I kind of led with this one because we're kind of at a retreat. All right, um, think of Luke five sixteen, where it says Jesus withdrew to pray. That he retreated from teaching, from healing, from large crowds. That is, he saw people like look them in the eyes. He needed things, and he's like, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to retreat. I'm going to be alone with my Father. And so thinking of ways in which you can retreat. I'm not saying like, quit. <laughs> that kind of like, wave the white flag. We're out of here. Um, but, but things like, and of course, I know this seems like a plug, but like YLT. And I've said this plenty of times, I feel like I can plug YLT because I have nothing to do with it. Michael does all of, all of the work. Um, but even coming to this as a youth um, a youth leader who was not on staff of people, so this became a lifeline for me. I had to, to be here. Um, but then even conferences like Together for the Gospel or the Gospel Coalition, to, to go to places that are preaching the Word, just sitting under the preaching of the Word. Thing, I mean, I think of like those two conferences, sitting in a room with 15,000 people singing hymns. If that's not a picture of heaven, I don't know what it is. I mean, it is soul just refreshing. So think of kind of large group ways to retreat. Think of small group ways to retreat. That you know, our, our youth ministry staff, we would take many retreats about twice a year. And we would do those locally. This is cheaper to do that. Um, but just having that time together, getting to know each other as people, not just ministry staff in the trenches together. Uh, seeing each other as image bearers and doing ministry alongside them. But also, I have you know, a small pastoral retreat that I go on with two pastor friends of mine that I've known for a while, where you can confess sin to each other, pray for each other. Um, I think those types of retreat are, are vital. But then, one to, one-on-one time with the Lord to retreat, to find times of solitude. 
Um, some people are just energized by crowds. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> like I said, Wednesday, youth ministry was just like collapsing. Because you're around people a lot. And you're, again, entertaining, trying to be the fun one, all of that kind of stuff. And it's just, you need those times to retreat and get away and to be alone. And I did forget to warn you that all of these start with an R. And I know, like yesterday, Matthew Eichert, when he, when he uh, referenced Reset, he said, it's kind of hokey because they all begin with an R. And I leaned over to Joe and said, my elected has all R's in it. Um, it had nothing to do with uh, David Murray's book. Uh, but secondly, the need to read. Right? Some of you have heard the mantra before, leaders are readers. Okay? And obviously, we're talking about a devotional life. And it's, it's of the utmost supported that if you're not feeding your own soul with God's Word, we're going to, to give out. And let's just go ahead and say, you know, as we're talking about reading here, I mean, all of these are, are dealing with prayer, but definitely as we're opening up the Word, it's implying we are praying alongside that. And, and just saying, after years of, of ministry, I don't know if some of you have, have been there before, but you can get tired of reading the Word. There are times where it's just, I don't feel like reading it. I don't want to read it right now. This is... You know, part of your occupation. You're always opening it up. You're always thinking about it. You're always preparing a lesson. And it can be hard to read it devotionally. And it can be hard to, to get the Word in you. And so just the, the older I, I've gotten thinking of, I mean, there have been ways in which the Word has given me discipline where I've had longer times in the Word and then times where it's uh, shorter times in the Word. But being older, the more I've appreciated music, singing truth back to my soul. Um, just hearing someone else speaking truth to me and hearing that. Um, but, but again, it's a necessity for us uh, to, to, to be in God's Word. Um, but, but then as we're reading as well, to, to be thinking, you're going to be exposed with other people's suffering. Whatever type of literature you're reading, there's going to be brokenness, there's going to be suffering. And that actually can feed your soul to remind yourself, like, there's nothing wrong with you. Everyone's suffering. Everyone's dealing with various levels of, of brokenness. So again, the, the next one, the need to research. And, and what I'm talking about here really is exegeting your congregation. If you're, you're familiar with that, I think again, maybe uh, Duffy or Scotty said something about this. Um, but you know, our calling as youth workers is beyond us in so many ways. And I'm not saying you know, reading and research are going to be the fix-all, but it's vital in what you're called to do. To be understanding the world that your students are growing up in. And, and what I want to say is that sometimes the best way you can serve students is by not being with them and reading a book. Sometimes I think we can feel guilty of like, okay, we're sitting in the office, we're reading, we should be out there like with students. But to read about, I mean, anxiety for one issue, I mean, to, to try to understand, okay, I've got this student in my ministry struggling with this, how might the Lord use me? Um, to, to research issues of sexuality, of technology, uh, to be researching the culture that you're dealing with. I mean, all of that is going to not only come out in just one-to-one interaction with students, but the lessons that you're teaching, all sorts of illustrations, being able to, to speak their language. So again, the, the need to, to research. And, and to know, too, part of this, again, kind of how some of this gets into to soul care. See, I can remember... Um, a girl who used to work with me, she read the book. I think the book is entitled American Girls. Are you all familiar with, with that book? Anybody? Is that the title? And her just telling me, like, she could read about a chapter a week, and it was, uh, it was just 
too much brokenness, too much suffering, too much sobering content where it was just it was a hard read and it was a long read uh, for her. And so, again, just as you're getting into this world and you're getting exposed to the brokenness that they're, they're dealing with, um, again, going back to, to the need to retreat and all that, because if, if this is a necessity to be studying their world that they're growing up in, it can be soul-sucking knowing what they're dealing with, Right? Fourth, we've got 10 minutes, so I've got to be quick. The need to rest, okay? We were created by God to rest. Um, and I say this just to, to say, look, you've, you've got to take a full day off. You've got to have a day off. Um, that, that sometimes we can wear it as a badge of honor, right? That we're working so hard and we're doing this uh, you know, ministry for the kingdom and never rest. Um, it's... I meant to bring some of these books in here. Zeal Without Burnout. If, uh, I know we gave that out several years ago by Christopher Ash. It's out there. Um, he says, you know, if we're not... if we, if, He says, yeah, okay, sorry, I'm trying to get the quote there. Um, yes, there's a need to sacrifice in ministry, he says. But if we're not resting, we'll have nothing left to sacrifice. That we're, we're ultimately kind of the central thesis truth there is that we are dust. Uh, that we need to rest. Um, to, to get away. Look, some of the strongest conflict that I had with my staff in, in youth ministry was forcing them to take a day off. Um, especially early on as you would have somebody come on staff and sometimes if they were younger and maybe single so they'd have a family to go home to, they would, you know, oh, I'm good, I can do this, I can do this. And I would say, no, like, it's going to catch up with you. You've got to take time off. And kind of along with this, like, get away from your phone. All right? Um, I mean, students are texting constantly, right? They're constantly asking questions and we'll think, okay, I'll just reply to this text, I'll, I'll do this, but to, to get away. God is sovereign, right? I mean, if you, if you decide, okay, Sunday is typically the day we cannot put the phone away, but whatever day it is, um, you know, knowing God's over that. Hey, God's in control. You're not keeping the kingdom together. So taking a day to, to rest. Also, the need to rebuke. In our pursuit to love students and to have them love us, we can sometimes risk never offending them. I can remember hearing a pastor um, charging a new pastor who's coming into the congregation, and he just said, I can't remember if he gave three points, one of them was call them to repent, to rebuke them. As he's charging this pastor in front of this congregation, he's saying, call all of these people to repent, rebuke them for their sin. And again, this kind of goes back to Galatians 1.10. Man-pleasing versus pleasing God. Rebuking others guards us from elevating humans to a place that they shouldn't be, right? And ultimately, that's caring for our soul. Because if we're never rebuking others, we've elevated them to a place that they should not be. And ultimately, that's going to destroy our soul. And so rebuking them wars with that idolatry of you know, just people-pleasing and putting people to a place where they should not be. And then also for us to, to receive rebuke from other people. It's a necessity for us because we don't have it all figured out, even though oftentimes we think we do. Six, the need for recreation. God has created us as body and soul creatures. Our body affects our soul. And our soul affects our body. Um, this can look like a lot of different things. <laughs> I go for a walk for some, lift weights, ride a bike, 
Again, our body does not belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. We must steward this body that He's, he's giving us. Um, it could be a hobby. Whether that's woodworking for some of you. Cooking a nice meal. Um, I know Joe Carter gets into different ways in which we can rest. And recreation is a form of rest. Doing work that actually isn't our occupation. Because again, we're created for, for work. Um, I think uh, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, if some of you have read that, he actually gets into some interesting thoughts on, on recreation. Um, I can remember Brian Habig at um, Wild Tea several years ago. He gave uh, a talk and he uh, referenced um, Spurgeon's lectures to his students. And there's a certain chapter, The Minister's Fainting Fits. You can actually just get that. It's a free PDF online. You can go find that. Um, he just said, you know, Spurgeon struggled with depression. He just said how life-giving it was to just go for a walk and let the sun shine on him. Um, again, that we are embodied souls. We're created to be in God's creation. There's something to be said there of general revelation, how it can refresh us. So thinking of just physical care of your bodies and Reset, as I've already said, it is such a good book. It's such a helpful book. I know he and his wife uh, wrote an accompanying volume to that, Refresh, as well. Um, he gets into some of the specifics of just kind of exercise and things like that. I mean, his story, he almost died. And um, it's an amazing story of steps that he took in ministry to become healthier. Okay, the need to be ready. Again, five more minutes. I need to finish up. And what I mean is the need to be ready to drop everything and to serve others. We're commanded to love God and love others. And this is, again, where we get into necessity being fluid. We need to maintain balance. We need to guard our souls. But we must be ready to serve. There are times we need to realize, okay, yeah, the necessity right now is you know, stopping this plan of what I was going to do to just relax and go serve this family and to jump into to ministry. Uh, to even have... There are times where it's... Vital that you shut the door to your office and you prepare a lesson and you pray over the text. But then there are also times to answer the knock on the door, right? And to say, come on in. And to be ready to serve other people. You know, if you never guard from that, um, that's not really serving, stewarding the, the Word in ways that we should. Um, but at the same time, if you're never welcoming kind of that open door, we've got to be ready to serve other people. Uh, number eight, the need for regularity. Our God is a God of order. Our God spoke order into chaos. There's a rhythm to life. And so as far as regularity here, thinking of you know, a schedule that's important. We can often think like youth ministry is the opposite of schedule. Like that it's just insanity. That youth ministry isn't an 8 to 5 job. And I can tell you, the older I got, the more I needed it to be an 8 to 5 job. Because I'm also called to be a husband and a father. It says you're all at different stages of, of life that may look differently, but you know, even if you aren't married or, or don't have children, you, you must be caring for yourself as an image bearer of God. And you don't need to allow youth ministry to become your identity. And so getting away from it uh, is, is important. But having this, this regularity uh, is important. And, and you know, I think Scotty spoke to this, of just having boundaries as a good thing. Lastly, the need to be replaced. Uh, Mark DeVries makes a statement that we are all interims. We are all interims. You are going to be replaced. The church is not dependent upon you to just continue on year after year after year. Unless Jesus returns, somebody else is going to get your job. 
being reminded of that is, is a humbling truth, a needed truth. Again, I'm placing it on the list of necessities, so you, you should understand that. But the ways in which you can do that is going to what Ben said, having volunteers in your ministry. Not being the one who's up in front all of the time in front of people. Because your students are trying to make you into their Savior, and you need to remind them you're not. And so when you're absent at times, they realize, okay, youth ministry is still going to go on. Um, to have other people teach for you. It got to be when, when I got older, um, I shared this recently with some people, but I realized all of my friends are teenagers. <laughs> like nobody, I'm not hanging out with anybody my age. And I, I was able to go to the youth committee and said, can I go to Sunday school with my wife? Is that, can I do that? And they were loving and agreed, yeah, we, we need to give you some time to, to go to Sunday school with your wife and other adults. And you know, at that time, it was like, okay, I was teaching Sunday school. I had a Monday Bible study, I think Tuesday morning prayer breakfast, Wednesday Bible study, Thursday, and we had times of break as well in there. We, it wasn't that busy. But I was thinking, okay, they're hearing from me all the time. If they don't hear from other people, they're kind of hearing some of the same message and they're never getting a break. And so to have other people to step in, and again, they ended up giving us the summers away from teaching Sunday school. And again, that's where you start equipping the congregation to, to start serving your church and to teach them. You know, it's not just about us, right? So look, I know I had to get through those a little um, quickly. Uh, we're almost at 3 o'clock, and then we need to get out of here for the next class. Any questions on that or comments? I think Michael said we might could go to like 3.05. Is the next one, is it 3.15? 3.10. Okay, so not too long, but I'll, I'll watch it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's right there. Thank you. Tree. Yeah, just on that last one that needs to be replaced. That has been very helpful for me. I think it was a council visit. Preach the word, die, and be forgotten. Preach the word, die, and be forgotten. Don't kill. Don't think everything's on you. Good. Just do your job. Be faithful. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> That's refreshing. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yes. Uh, I guess, can you explain, like, on the need for regularity a little bit more? Like, you mentioned youth ministry is a 9 to 5 job, but we do need that kind of regularity schedule. Mm-hmm. How does that, like, I don't know, maybe anybody else has thoughts too, just like boundaries that you put in place to set up uh, some sort of schedule on that? Mm hmm. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of how to say this without like opening up a can of worms. Um, I got to where I did not go to any um, sporting events with my students, and I know it's like like some people that's all youth ministry is for some people, um, and it's different for everybody's context. But you know, we and we're not this massive church. We had 17 schools in our youth group, and so I was thinking, okay, if I'm at every single football game, baseball, chess match theater. Like, I'm never going to be home with my family. Um, and so we would uh, do one-to-one ministry, and I know, again, that is another can of worms that some people are not able to do in church context and all that. Um, but it allows you to fit that into, okay, pick them up after school, so instead of going to a game, you're able to give them that kind of one-to-one discipleship um, into a window that you kind of carved out trying to, again, keep your job more of an eight-to-five. So thinking of ways in which maybe you can fit ministry into um, you know, a daily schedule. I mean, most of us have programs that are established, and so those kind of dictate some of what we can uh, 
um, <clears throat> how we can shape the rest of our schedule. Typically, my day off was Friday, and I tried to guard that with white knuckles and just disappear. Um, and so if you've got kind of programs set up, if you do have a church that's communicated to you your day off, okay, those can kind of give you some guidance. So maybe that helps. I know that's a little bit vague, but I'd, I'd be happy to talk in a little more detail. That's a good question. Does anybody want to speak into that? Uh, yes. I've been forced by my wife to not go out more than two or three nights a week. Yeah. Like, set that aside. That's good. Yeah, somebody, I think, has said, uh, be home more nights than you're away. Um, that can be helpful. Yeah, and that actually that communicates something important to the students as well. Right? This value is kind of valuable. This time of family is valuable. That kind of the family. Yep, absolutely. Good point. Any other? Yes. You need to read. Um, there's so much to read. Yeah. Um, so how do you personally like prioritize that? Just thinking about you want to engage with the culture. You also want to develop personally with things that you're interested in reading. Mm-hmm. So how did you, how did you uh, that? Yeah, that's a good question. So the question was the need to read. Okay, how do we decide there's so much to read? Some of it, um, I think looking at your gifts, there are going to be things that interest you just naturally. Maybe it's athletics for some of you, a certain theme. Maybe, okay, well, let's think maybe, um, uh, you know, like a biblical framework of, of sports or something along those lines. Or if it's music for some of you, okay, reading up on uh, music. So kind of seeing where your gifts and passions maybe lie. I also um, used to consistently read books on parenting. Um, some of that was, by the time I became a youth director, I was a parent. But then starting out, I was not at the time. And we, we need to see that even if we don't have children, we are spiritual parents and we're playing a part in this. And of course, I'm not saying overstepping the boundaries of the parents that are in the ministry. But one, reading books on parenting is going to give you sympathy for the parents that you're ministering to. It's also equipping you. For later in life, um, it also gives you some wisdom to share because I've had those moments where parents came to my office and started asking me questions, and I was thinking, I have no business giving you any advice on parenting. But Paul David Tripp did say this, so it's kind of you can quote him. Um, so, parenting, I would say, uh, again, the, the two categories I often say sexuality and technology, those categories you've got to be thinking about and reading about because there's so much there. I mean, just those two categories alone, that's enough focus on. Any other thoughts on that too? Like how y'all thought through kind of reading and how to focus on certain things? Yeah, hopefully that was helpful. I'm happy to talk about that a little bit more too. Um, maybe one more and then I'll, I'll close this. Or none. Yes? Uh, I just, I go back to your suffering part. I just love that you talk about leadership and suffering and uh, helping there. I think we all get in the ministry hoping that we can just kind of like be the peacemaker and find a win-win. Um, and I almost never find that there's a win-win. <laughs> I just, so I just really appreciate that. Thank yeah. You for yeah, thanks for saying that because it is, I think it is one of those that we can just think, I just need to suck it up. And I just need to, you know, this is not a big deal. In the grand scheme of things, there's, you know, bigger forms of suffering. But just over the years, it can just eat away at you. And so recognizing it and calling it what it is and uh, even, you know, just grieving that, saying like, this is not how it was supposed to be, you know? Um, because of the fall, this is messed up, and longing for, you know, Christ's return. That's healthy and good and biblical to do that. Um, so yeah, thanks for, for bringing that up. Let me close this in prayer and we can, we can get out of here. And I'm happy to talk more. I'll, I'll be out there. 
Father, we do thank You so much for um, this time together. Uh, it's such an encouragement to, to be in the same room with people doing the same uh, thing in ministry. It's the similar calling that we all share. Uh, the suffering that we can go through. Just if nothing else, to just uh, be reminded that we're not alone. Um, uh, to to um, think through what Your Word says, the boundaries that it, can, that it can give us, the wisdom that it can impart as we seek to be faithful in the ministry that You've called us to. I pray that You would give us strength from Your Spirit to implement some of this in our life, to, to guard us from um, burnout in ministry and to faithfully steward the, the ministry that You've called us to. We thank You for all these in this class and those uh, who uh, participated, shared their wisdom. I pray that more of that would continue as we go to other classes, as we go out to you tonight, as we worship tonight, that there continue to be those discussions where we can sharpen each other uh, for the sake of the Gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so-